0: I just feel compelled to tell you that God loves you this morning, yeah. in case you didn't know that already. You know, last Christmas, uh, we partnered with Samaritan's Purse in their Children's Heart Project to bring some kids here from third world countries where they don't have the medicine and technology that's accessible for an important heart surgery that if they don't have, they will die. And uh, we were hoping maybe to bring three kids over for about 17000 so we took our love offering and you gave $81,000. And so uh, we are going to bring about 17 kids here. And we have uh, the first uh, three that have already come. And I had a chance to go up there with my wife, Marsha, to visit three of them uh, at Rochester Mayo Clinic. And I want you to hear the story of one of them. You'll see another little girl next to her in one little clip. And that little girl, I think is about two years old, she had the same surgery. And um, it's just amazing how quickly it recovered. And I want you to listen to uh, Nasha's story because not only was her heart healed physically, but listen to what happened to her spiritually. Let's watch this. Hi, this is Dale, and I am in Rochester, Minnesota. We are standing in the world-famous Mayo clinic where we have come to meet the three children that you, as a congregation, supported with your Christmas offering have a life-changing surgery that would change their physical condition by touching their hearts. And of course, all of us have been praying that God would also touch them and their family's uh, spiritual heart as well. And I think we got some good stories to tell you about that. I want to introduce to you Nasa. And Nasa is how old?
1: 11. 11
0: years old. And she had surgery just about three weeks ago. And again, it is so amazing how she's already beginning to change. She used to walk about 30 minutes to school and they would have to sleep because she was so exhausted. And uh, now she's skipping around and jumping and dancing, and uh, it feels great. I have a picture of uh, Nasa's hands before and after, and look at the change in the hand. You can tell that now she, in the top picture, she has wonderful blood flow. And uh, down here we see, you know, she wasn't getting a whole lot of, of oxygen there. So praise God for what he's done that she wanted to show us her scar or not?
1: doesn't have to.
0: Okay, so this is the scar. Oh my, look at that. Wow. Three weeks ago. Isn't that amazing? Wow and, and uh, the generosity and kindness of the doctor has been wonderful mm. you know when I see that scar I'm reminded of the scars that Jesus uh-huh. had in his hands and his feet because mm. he gave his life for us uh-huh. and I hope I hope her scar will remind her of how much God loves her
1: uh-huh. so she has seen the Jesus movie on yeah. TV.
0: tell her I am so proud of her she's so courageous
1: Jesus are uh, crucified on the cross yes. So after three days, uh, he uh, resurrected from the dead.
0: She's our evangelist, <laughs> and was she aware of Jesus Christ before she came and yeah, God's uh, love for her?
1: Uh-huh. She has never experienced God's love when uh, she was in Mongolia, but since she came here, she can feel the love and peace in her heart, and uh, she uh, is a, she became a Christian.
0: Wow! No, tell her we tell her yeah. we rejoice with her.
1: And with her. Yes. Yeah. Now. Uh, so now i'm a christian and so i hope my family would be christian when we uh, go back
0: great amen so we're gonna uh, regularly we're gonna regularly update you on all of uh, your investment how god is bringing that home and she's from mongolia and uh, they all wanted to show their scars by the way all right, it wasn't, they, we didn't ask them, they wanted to, and uh, they were, you know, very proud of what had happened uh, and how God had worked in their lives. Now, we take a little risk here because I was in a conversation by email this week that uh, Beth Husskamp, who is the head of uh, the Children's Heart Project, might be here this morning. Beth, if you're here this morning, would you mind standing? I hate to do this. I don't know if she made it in or not. If you see someone standing next to you, wave. All right, okay, wasn't sure she was going to make it in, but uh, anyway, it's a great project and we are so glad to be a part of the whole process, all right? Hey, I got a question for you. How many of you like popcorn? Let me see your hands. All right, well, this morning I have brought my favorite kind of popcorn, so open says me, and um, by the way, have you ever noticed that in, wow, it doesn't take much to get a response out of you guys, all right? All um, right. Have you ever noticed uh, in parental minivans that uh, there's always food present? Have you ever noticed that, like in the seats, in the carpet, in a, you know, in the pockets that go around the seats? I mean, Cheerios and crackers and cookies and and petrified French fries. It's it's all all in family minivans. But anyway, I brought I brought. Um, I brought my favorite kind of popcorn. You know, the kind you get at Christmas, the kind you send to Uncle Fred in Fleaport, Louisiana, you know, the uncle that you never see, you never have to be there when he opens it up and goes, didn't they send me this last year? Well, I like this stuff. Anybody else besides me like this stuff? Good. All right. I'm not alone. And uh, I like it because, you know, it's got the three flavors, caramel, cheese, and the butter popcorn. My favorite thing to do is when I get one at Christmas is to sit it down on a low chair, lock the dog away, and I grab a Diet Coke, and I turn on something violent like Ultimate Fighting Championship, UFC, all right? And uh, for, you know, for you women, it's like, you know, love comes tenderly, softly, whatever it is, all right? And, you know, you just sip and dip, right? You sip and dip, and it's just, it's fun. It tastes good. It's, and you know what's wonderful about this stuff? It is packed full of vitamins and minerals. It's incredibly healthy for you, Right? No, right? This is just absolute junk food, but it tastes so good, doesn't it? You say, Pastor, what on earth does, does popcorn have to do with parenting? Well, I want to liken three parenting styles to the popcorn that's in this tin. Parenting styles that I guess I would call junk food parenting styles that do more harm than good in the family. And so in order for you to have something to think and remember these parenting styles by, we're going to use popcorn, all right? So every time you see popcorn, you think about, ah, I can't parent this way. Now, before we go any further, let me ask, how many of you are are single? Let me see your hands, all right? All right, how many of you uh, uh, don't have children yet? Let me see your hands. Well, obviously the kids, right? Okay. For those of you who are single, don't have children yet... I want you to ask this question through the entire message. How does this apply to me? Because some of the principles I'm going to share will apply directly to you, all right? So it's, it's not like I want you to tune out. And I want our young people, I want you students to really listen in. Because you're going to need to coach your parents, all right, after they hear this, all right? you're going to need to coach your parents. I want to start with the first Uh, fatal parenting style we're going to call it very theological term write it down the caramel corn parenting style all right found in second james chapter 5 verse 9 all right caramel corn parenting style now i like caramel corn all right or caramel corn whatever the right way to say it the problem with it though is very sticky you ever notice that i mean this stuff will stick to about anything right It'll stick to your head. It'll stick to your hair. It'll stick to your mustache, and uh, it'll, obviously, ladies, you know, it'll stick to your skin. It'll stick to your teeth, right? It's just sticky stuff. It sticks to your, you know, your carpet. It, it's it, it's just amazing, and it reminds me of a parenting style that's kind of sticky. You know, some parents are what I call cling-on parents. All right, they are parents who overprotect. There are parents who overdo. There are parents who are dominating and controlling. And I know where it all starts. It starts when their kids are infants. Have you, how many of you are ever an infant? Let me see your hands. All right. Have you ever noticed that, um, that infants are very needy, needy human beings? 24-7. They can't do anything for themselves, right? So, like, you can always tell the mom or a dad of, a, of an infant because they have these huge bags under their eyes, right? They don't get any sleep. And I think what happens is somehow, some parents, they just get stuck in that mode of feeling like they have to control their child, even when they're 18, even when they're 25, even when they're like 40. That's when they go from being in-laws to outlaws, right? There's just, you know that whole deal. And the kind of risks they take is they're going to produce a child that might be rebellious, because they feel suffocated, never, They're never given space or responsibility. They might produce a child who's not rebellious, but a a child who's weak-willed, who is so used to being dominated that they gravitate toward relationships where they're controlled and dominated. That's dangerous. Or we may end up producing a kid just like us who grows up to be overbearing and controlling, and that can lead to all kinds of problems as they get older, especially if someday they end up having a relationship and, and, and get married. So it is not a good parenting style, and I hope it doesn't describe yours, and if it does, it's not too late to change. The second kind of parenting style is the cheesy popcorn parenting style. The cheesy popcorn parenting style. I, this is my favorite, is, anybody else like the cheddar cheese popcorn besides me? It smells good, it tastes good, I like the stuff, I need it right now, but I choke on it, and, um... The only problem, though, with cheesy parenting style, you just end up with orange lips, orange teeth, an orange tongue, orange face, orange fingers, which always leads into orange pants and orange shirts when you don't have the napkin handy, right? Now, what's a cheesy parent? Well, there are some parents who feel that their lifelong mission in life is to keep their family entertained, to keep their children happy. How many of you kids love cheesy parents? I mean, how many of you kids would love your parents to entertain you 24 hours a day? Make you, always make you happy, right? I mean, I would too, right? Okay, but it's not good. Let me give you an example. My little granddaughter, Catalina, is with me this uh, part of this week. She's six months old, cutest child in all the world, at least in my estimation. And uh, Bethany, her mom, has, you know, trying to catch up on sleep. So she says in the morning, do you mind taking Catalina? I think about it for a nanosecond. I say, of course, I'll take her. So she hands her off to me, everybody else is sleeping, and... She and I have so much fun. I take her downstairs, and we touch everything in the house, because kids like texture, right? And grandma's not there to see the things we're touching, all right? So we're like touching and pulling. We pull out pots and pans, and we bang on them. We uh, play with her little rattle, her little song machine. We look through the books. We go in front of the mirror, and we make faces, and grandma makes strange noises, and she's laughing, and she's giggling, and the more she laughs and giggles, the more inspired and encouraged i become, but every once in a while, I have to stop and rest and i notice that when i stop for more than a minute she starts to get anxious and upset and cry and then i start doing this again right we take another tour through the house and because i want her to always be happy when she's in grandpa's hands i don't care what she's like in grandma's hands or mommy's hands or daddy's hands or anybody else's hands but i want her to always be happy in grandpa's hands i want the kind of grandchild that when she sees grandpa goes "Ooh, i want you i want you right it makes me feel good but can you imagine doing that every day of your life for the first 18 years of your kid's life? What kind of kid are you going to produce? Spoiled, rotten little brat, right? I mean, that's the truth, isn't it? I mean, we, you, somehow our kids have got to learn to entertain themselves and have discipline in their lives. Let me talk to you now about a dark side of the cheesy parent. And that's a parent whose goal is not to, not to keep their kids happy, but to use their kids to make themselves happy. I'm talking about the kind of parent that drives their kid into sports and into academics, into music, into drama, into dance, in order to kind of live their own lives vicariously to their kids, because they're competing against other parents. And they want to look good and be good. And I watch these parents, and they're hard on their kids. Praise in one moment, criticize in the next. Talking about coaches and other parents and other programs and how bad and how rotten the referee was. It's all about looking good and being the best. By the way, I want to ask you a question. Who invented leagues, tournaments? Who, in, who invented programs and clubs? Was it kids? No. Who? Parents. For whom is the question of the hour? In many instances, we lose track. It stops being for the kids and starts being for who? For us and for our ego. Now, what kind of kid are you going to raise if you do that? You're going to raise kids who are going to grow up, and if your deal is to make them happy all the time, they're going to be spoiled. If your deal is to live vicariously through them, you're going to end up raising up kids who are bent on success as their state of life. I mean, I have to be successful to feel good about myself. Or to have tremendous inferiority complexes because they feel like they can never measure up and be good enough. Man, if you're a cheesy parent, lose it. Just, you know, change. It is not a good thing. The third kind of parenting style is the butter popcorn parenting style. And I don't, I'm not a real fan of the butter popcorn in these, in these uh, cans because, well, butter popcorn is just kind of, you know, it's just, it doesn't stick, it's kind of tasteless, very individualistic and very bland. And, you know, there are some families, there are some parents who are like that. What I mean is they don't have structure in their home. They don't have, there's no closeness in the home. And, uh, and these kind of parents are also kind of parents who, who are high on the I. You know, I, individualism, very low on the weeness of the family. You can imagine the danger of raising kids like that. Your kids are going to grow up without much in the way of rules, without much in the way of structure, without much in the way of closeness. And the result is they have too much freedom on their hands. And in our culture today especially, they have a tendency to drift over into no-no land. Say and do things they shouldn't do and get themselves in trouble, right? Because you guys need structure, right? You need rules, right? (laughs) And all of Israel moaned, all right? Yeah, I mean, we, we don't want it, but we know we need it. We know that we need it. We need that in our lives. And kids long for that. As parents, we have to provide that. Now, those are the three ways that I think we we tend to drift sometimes in our parenting. Three, what I would call, junk food styles. Say, okay, Dale, you've told me how I shouldn't parent. Well, then how should I parent? What would be the right recipe, the right popcorn? Glad you asked. Write this down. Let's talk, since we're sticking with the popcorn metaphor, let's talk about God's popcorn recipe. First ingredient, oil. Say it with me, oil. Oil. Now, oil has biblical significance. You find it all throughout the Old and New Testament. Oil was used to anoint. Oil was used to anoint the priest, the objects in the tabernacle, and later the temple. Oil was used in the New Testament medicinally. And it's also used as a symbol. In James chapter 5, when you pray for someone, you anoint them with oil as a symbol of God's healing power. Oil reminds us of the Holy Spirit on our lives, in our lives. But if you look back at the origin of the concept of anointing, it comes out of the life of the shepherds with their sheep. See, back in the day when shepherds raised their sheep out in the countryside, at certain times of season especially, there'd be a lot of insects and lice and other kinds of bugs. They would crawl or fly on to the the, um, sheep and attach themselves to the wool, and they would they would walk along the wool and they make their way to the neck of the sheep and then they go in the ears of the sheep and burrow in the brain and kill the sheep. So the shepherd, he would take a flask of like olive oil and he would pour it over the head of the sheep. And that oil would soak into the wool and come around the ears. So when those bugs started making their way toward the head of the sheep, they could not, literally could not gain traction. They, were, they couldn't crawl, it was too slippery and they couldn't get in the ear and they couldn't get to the brain and they couldn't kill the sheep. I like what David says in his shepherding metaphor, Psalm 23. Psalm 23 and verse 5. He says, You, God, anoint my head with what? With oil, my cup overflows. Now, keep that in mind and turn with me to a very important passage of Scripture on parenting, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I want us to look at the first seven verses of that passage, all right? So, everyone, pull your glasses out. And let's look at this passage together. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Here, Israel... And be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children... Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. Now, God is getting ready to take them into a foreign land, the promised land, right? And in the promised land is all kinds of evil and sin and temptations and false ideas and false gods. And it's as though God is saying, I want you to pour over your heads and your minds the oil of my word. So that when you come into this foreign land and ideas try to attach themselves to your mind, false ideas, false notions, they won't be able to burrow themselves in your mind and destroy your life because the truth will act as a defense. It will deflect those lies. When you go into that land... There will be many gods made out of sticks and stones. Remember, O Israel, get this in your mind. Your God is not in any image because your God fills space and space cannot contain Him. He is eternal. He is vast. He is beyond measure. Worship the one true God and Israel, worship me with every fiber of your being. Hang on to me. I'm hanging on to you. Don't be swayed. Don't be swayed by falsehood and false doctrines and false teachers and false idols. Stay true to the course. Keep my word in your heart. And then he says, make sure, you adults, make sure that you keep this word deep in your heart. In other words, practice the word of God. And then, you fathers and grandfathers, while you're walking along in life, as you're going through life, make sure you're constantly applying the word of God to your children and your grandchildren. Now how many of you are, are fathers or grandfathers? Let me see your hands. Why don't you listen to me for just a moment. Your greatest responsibility in life and my greatest responsibility in life is not to achieve success financially. It's not to achieve success in my, my uh, career. It is not trophies and plaques. The greatest The greatest responsibility you and I have in life is to make sure that our children... Know the truth so they can survive and have victory living in this world which is so full of untruth, evil, and corruption. And when you stand before God, dads, listen, granddads, you and I will be held accountable for that. If you're a single mom here, if you're a single father here, listen carefully. Don't let the world distract you. The greatest thing you can do for your child is not give them all kinds of you know, goodies and things to make up for the guilt that you might have or the issues that you're wrestling with, the greatest thing you can do is pass on the truth. Because they are going up. These kids are going up in a world... Where Satan's lies are so deceptive, coming at them 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days in the year, in the most subtle, tempting, and enticing forms, through sensuality and through media, and it is burrowing itself in their minds, and no wonder an increasing amount of freshmen who grow up in the church, leave the church, go to college, and don't come back to church again. Because the truth has not been poured over their minds and gotten into their hearts. Or they've watched mom and dad talk about the truth, but not live the truth. Or they watch mom and dad talk about how important God is, but when it came to the weekends, God was put on the side, and sports or other programs took his place. And so it just registers in their mind. It's all talk. It's not really that important. And they're young and impressionable, and it's hard for them to get the priorities straight living in this culture. They need you and me to help them see by the way we live how important the Word of God is. Amen? Amen. And you can do it. You can do it. And it's never too late to start. And we're here to partner with you through our Christian education ministry and children and youth ministry. We're here to partner with you as parents. And single parents to get the Word grafted in. Those of you who are single this morning, I hope you're anointing yourself with the Word of God every day. In your heart, in your life, in your soul as well. All right, second ingredient. you got to have heat. You know, if you're gonna popcorn, you put, the, you put the kernel in the pan the old-fashioned way, you put the oil in there, and then you apply the heat. And the heat I'm talking about now, for those of you who are married, I'm talking about the heat of affection and romance in your life. Say, what does that have to do with parenting my kids, showing affection to my spouse? Look what it says in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18. It says, let your wife, men. ask all the, all the uh, married men. Read this aloud with me. Let your wife. <laughs> well, you guys sounded happy when you read that. <laughs> did you women, when they said rejoice, did you hear them go up an octave? Whatever an octave is. Jeremy, I have no idea what it is. But I mean, it was... It was really pathetic, guys. All right? So we're going to try it one more time. I'm not going to say it. All right? I want to hear you say it. I'll start you out. Ready? Men who are married, let. Yes! All right. So there's a group of men somewhere in this section who were really rejoicing. The rest of you guys take a hint. All right? So we're to rejoice in the wife of our youth. You know, he goes on in the book of Malachi, and God speaking through the prophet says, I have this against you, O Israel. You are abusing the wife of your youth. You're divorcing the wife of your youth. You're not staying faithful and true. And I'm not going to bless you. And I'm angry at you, God says. Guys, listen. We have got to take the lead in romanticizing our spouse if you weren't here last weekend, you can go out to the resource center and get the tape where I talked about dating your mate. But it's so important, men and women, husbands and wives, that we romance each other. You say, why is that so important? Because a survey was taken some time ago of youth, and they were asked, who would you rather have affection shown towards by your parents, towards you or toward each other? Would you rather have your parents show you affection or each other? 95% said they'd rather have their parents. Why? Because when a kid sees mom and dad loving each other, hugging each other, kissing each other, speaking in affectionate terms toward each other, it makes them feel secure. Just like if our kids watch us yelling at each other, arguing with each other, and God forbid, hurting each other physically, it makes them tremendously insecure, doesn't it? I'll never forget, and I, I think I've told this before, when our son, Ben, I think he was in first grade, came home from school, and he had just been talking to a buddy of his who was talking about his divorced parents. He came home, and he looked at Marsha and I with great fear in his eyes and wanted to know if we were going to get divorced. Then I'm not here to make you feel bad if you've been divorced. I want you to know that God loves you, God can forgive you, and, and if you're married again, let's make this one work. But our kids long for security, and one of the ways they sense that is when they see deep affection between mom and dad. So get out there and date your mate. And and show affection, and, and encourage each other. All right, let's move on. Third uh, aspect of parental popcorn. I'm going to call it seasoning. I'm going to talk about it next weekend. That's why you want to make sure you wear your uh, your jerseys. We're going to use kind of the sports metaphor, and um, it's, we're going to be dealing with discipline uh, next weekend. All right, and, and you don't want to miss that. But let me just briefly touch on it for a moment. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11, it says this to us. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves just as a Father corrects a child in whom he delights. So here's the deal. God loves us so much that sometimes he, he disciplines us in our lives. He corrects us to get us on the right path again. And as parents, we're supposed to do that for our kids because they have a tendency to get out of bounds sometimes, don't they? Don't you? I did too. I still do at times. And we need kind of correcting and brought back in again. And God does that because he loves us. And I'm not going to belabor that. I'm going to talk about it more next weekend. But finally, lastly, the the last ingredient that we need in our lives as we parent is time. Time. So, oil, heat, seasoning, and time. Have you ever noticed that about popcorn? You stick the kernel in the kettle, you got the oil, you got the heat on, and you wait. You wait for it to pop. And you know, there's always one that goes first. Have you ever noticed that? It's not like they all go boom like that and it's done. It'd be nice, right? It'd be dangerous. But they go one and then another and they go really fast. And you ever notice there are some who pop. At like the last minute, right? Bang. And there are always some that don't pop. Now I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that's been abused and wrongly translated by many people. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says this. says, Train a child in the way that he or she should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Now some people have taken that verse and applied it this way. As insurance. That if I teach my kid the Word of God, that it guarantees me that even if they stray away in their life, that they're eventually going to come back again. That's not what that verse is saying. The Proverbs are general truths, but there are exceptions. Because your kids, my kids, our grandkids, can make choices and pedal away from God and say, I don't want anything to do with it. But here's the deal. The writer of Proverbs says... If you will instill the truth in their life, more than likely, even if they do stray, they will come back again. And some of us, as parents this morning, have prodigal children, don't we? And there's nothing that weighs heavier on a parent's heart or soul when they see their kids stray away from the truth. You end up with a true heartache, a soul ache, don't you? And you pray, and you pray, and you pray that they'll come back. And you hope, and you hope, and you hope that they'll come back. And you, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait till that moment. And they go, pop! And they come back to the truth. My heart goes out to you. I encourage you not to give up. That's why I love the prodigal son story in the New Testament. The father of God who waits and waits for his son. Who goes away and, and lives you know, a horrible life. Finally, is broken, and the father sees him coming home. And when the father sees him coming home, he breaks all Middle Eastern rules and regulations. This old, distinguished man goes running to his son and wraps his arms around him. And before his son could say anything, the father is offering him grace and forgiveness. That's a picture of God's love for you and me. And the patience of God as he waits on us is wonderful, isn't it? He never gives up on us. He waits and he waits and he waits. And sometimes, as parents, we have to do that with our kids as well. And I want to encourage you because sometimes it's not until they're adults, and sometimes it's not until they're well into their adult years, they finally come full circle to the truth again. Rejoice, expect, wait for them to come back. See, that's how we're supposed to parent. We're supposed to parent according to the Word of God. We're supposed to parent. Uh, with keeping our marriage intact and our affection for our spouse, making our kids secure. We're supposed to parent with discipline and we're supposed to parent with with timing, with waiting and praying, and coaching and encouraging and expecting God to move and work. And you can do it. It is never too late to start. Sometimes, you know, I'll run into parents and they're they're stuck looking in the rearview mirror about all the mistakes they made back there. Listen, you can only live so, you know, minute. it. Confess it. Deal with it. Now move on with your parenting or grandparenting. I sometimes run into parents and here's the deal. They are so absorbed by the bad childhood they had. They're so wrapped up into it that they're not doing their job parenting the kids they have now. Listen to me. Some of us had messed up childhoods. All right. I agree. Now, please get past it for the sake of your kids. You shouldn't put them through the same thing either. So you don't know what I've been through. I know what you've been through. And you can't live where you've been. It's time to live where God wants to take you and give some value and meaning to what you went through here by making sure you parent these kids well over here. You can do it by God's grace. What does it really mean to be a good parent? I asked myself that question just very recently. My father on a Good Friday evening, after I uh, went home, I got a call at eleven thirty for my mom, and, and I, she says, "Your dad's not feeling well, chest pain. He's already had three or four heart attacks." And I'm on the phone with my dad while well, he has a pretty significant heart attack, fades away on the phone. Next thing I know, you know, he's in the hospital, and I go down there after Easter for open heart surgery. He's home now. He's recovering. I praise God for that. But, boy, it just made me think again about my parents and how much I love them and what they've meant to me. And I thought, well, what if something, you know, eventually God's going to call my dad and my mom home, like he's going to call me and my wife home and each one of us. And I, I was thinking, you know, what has, what, have, what what is it that my parents are leaving me? And it's not money because they've given most of it away. And it's not a really nice house because they live in a, in, in a very humble abode. And it's not going to be a, a, a legacy of trophies and successes because they've lived very humbly. But I'll tell you what they are leaving me that, that has profoundly affected me. First of all, they're leaving me with an understanding of what it means to love God because my parents have always loved God. And they speak very openly and very affectionately about their love for Jesus and His love for them. They are leaving me the discipline of prayer. My mother and father have been a man and a woman of prayer as long as I can remember how many times I've heard them pray with passion for me and for my children and for, you know, now their great-grandchildren. And for our church here, you're being prayed for every weekend by my mother and father. They have left me a love for the word of God. I remember my mom so many times sitting with her King James Bible, reading it, reading it, reading it, marking it, and my father reading from the only true Bible, the Dutch Bible. He's a Dutchman, right? You know, reading it and telling me what it actually really means according to the Dutch language. I think about about their love for people, their love for lost people. You know, it was just really neat. When my dad left the hospital a few days ago, nurses were coming from ICU down to the step-down unit where they had taken him and were giving him hugs and kisses goodbye. Many of them were West Indian nurses. My dad used to be a missionary in the West Indian in the West Indies, and he was speaking the lingo to them. And it was a party as he left. And that's the legacy that I have, and I would far rather have that legacy. Than a legacy of money, a legacy of a house, a legacy of, you know, um, uh, material kinds of things. I would far rather have the legacy that they've given to me. And they weren't perfect parents. There are no perfect parents. But they have been faithful. The legacy of a marriage that has lasted all these years. I am rich. And I want to do the same for my kids. And I know you want to do the same for your kids. And you can Stop living in the past, and let's live in the future. We serve a God of amazing grace, don't we? Lord, as we take this message to heart, as we reach out to you and ask you for grace and strength to parent in a way that pleases and honors you, just as the rain has been pouring down today, then would you let your grace pour down on our lives and enable us to be the the dad and the mom you want us to be. For our single parents, God, I pray a special measure of grace to come down on their hearts and lives. For those who've been divorced, Lord, I pray for a measure of knowing they're forgiven and, and, uh, and knowing, Lord, that this marriage can work. For those, Lord, who, who sought to honor you and live for you but had a spouse that was so unloving and so unkind, God, give them the measure of grace to, to even love their enemies, Lord. Rain down your grace in our lives. Use us. For we pray and ask it in Jesus' name.